0: We hear a lot about the work of the United Nations, but the reports usually include mention of boots on the ground in some faraway country. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes, which is designed to keep boots off the ground when it comes to religious freedom. Here to explain is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, fill us in here. Yeah, happy to.
1: Let's take 15 minutes. Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) By the way, in my position, particularly when I first started, I routinely got letters from people, sometimes with photographs, Full of paranoia that the United Nations was taking over the world and, more particularly, about to take over the United States. Yes. yes. And there'd often be pictures of, of mass parking groups of white UN vehicles and military vehicles in white paint and paranoid surmisings that UN troops were going to invade the US. I mean, very off putting and not easily proven stuff. Yes. People forget the history of the UN, it came out of World War II. And as far as the, the genesis of the UN itself, it came out of World War I. Remember, it was Wildrow Wilson's creation, the League of Nations, mm-hmm. which was a good idea, but not well-supported, and it collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then World War II came along, and in the aftermath, the idea appealed to people, and in fact, there was a necessity to bring the nations together to resolve the burgeoning conflicts and to have them talk at each other, because very often, as a prelude to war, there's just no talk. That's true. So the UN has, has fulfilled a, a fantastic role, all during the Cold War and up to the present, giving a forum for people, often mortal enemies, to shout at each other in a in a controlled atmosphere.
0: <laughs> I like the way you put that. That's very good. Yeah.
1: And that very dynamic has increasingly bothered American citizens because they pick up correctly that a lot of the discussion on the banks of the Hudson there in Manhattan is very anti American, as you know, it's rather wild talk at times. And then even in the different groups that form there Sometimes uh, coalitions of countries that are distinctly anti-West and anti-U.S. have a say. But you've got to see that as the, the benefit of the organization, not the threat of the organization. And the facts are that the U.S. is the largest funder of this. They host the physical structure of the U.N. in the U.S. Of course, in Geneva, they have their other headquarters. So the U.N. is, is an indispensable element. In the modern world, which is not a perfect world, in fact, it's increasingly dysfunctional, but many of the good things and much of the good dialogue is because of the UN. And when you talk about religious liberty and and, uh, civil rights, the UN, I think, has played a generally positive role. Back in the 50s, I think it was, they developed the uh, UN Declaration, Universal Declaration on Human Rights, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful statement. I I can't quote it verbatim, but in longer language really reiterates the principles that are in the U.S. Declaration of Independence and the basic Bill of Rights. You know, that hadn't existed on a global scale till then. And there is a global commitment, if not in practice, in principle, to the freedom of the individual and their right to choose and practice the religion they want. Now, one of the functions of the U.N. is to monitor the practice of religious freedom around the world. Earlier this week, I went down to... uh, the Russell Senate caucus room, actually, right downtown, where there was a roundtable of religious liberty organizations and civil rights groups, got to talk with one of the rapporteurs, French word, but basically a reporter or a roving ambassador for the UN to report back to the organization regarding the state of religious liberty. They don't have a lot of personal power, but a lot of influence to inform that global organization, which, of course, then can discuss it past actions, which are not easily enforced, because at the end of the day, countries do what they do, only because of you know this influence by other countries. Short of invading them, there's not an easy way to enforce it, but since they're signatories, there's a good likelihood they'll make some effort to uh, comply if they're brought to order by uh, uh, what the rapporteur brings forward. So it was a very interesting time to sit around the table and to talk to this guy. Now, I don't want to give his name now, He's recently put into place very uh, easy guy to talk to, not aggressive, but it's perhaps very telling of where the global community is going, is that this man is from the Maldives, a 100% Muslim Mm -hmm. (laughs) mini-state, and of course we have to involve uh, Islamic, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu countries in, in looking at religious liberty, but at the moment... Islamic sensibility is a little at odds with some of the principles that you and I might and our listeners might see on religious liberty. And I think it showed through a bit in the discussion we had because he used the term, which any listeners of this program should know by now, is sort of a loaded term. He is the term of tolerance. Tolerance is not a nice word. We're not looking for tolerance in uh, religious liberty because tolerance is... One step below persecution. Tolerance means I don't like you. I might not even think that you have a right to even exist, but for now, I will tolerate you. I will put up with you. True religious liberty means, yes, while I myself might believe I have the truth in my own faith, but I respect you as a fellow human being and all other faiths that people pick upon as your right, guaranteed right, to pursue truth in your way, and I will respect that. Defend it, if necessary. Defend the, the right for you to think that way at whatever cost it might take. You know, that's a whole different deal it than is, tolerance. It is, And, uh, I, you know, I can't say about this particular individual in his inner heart. I have no burden against him. But I do believe that Islam, among some other religions, has a, more of an issue with tolerance. Because when you have a religion that doesn't easily allow the right of others to exist... Mm-hmm. That sort of their mandate is to uh, either convert you or to compel you to accepting. Then the best you can come up with is tolerance. Yes, yes. So we, we had some interesting discussion, and I told him something that I noticed the outgoing U.S. ambassador for religious freedom, who was there, uh, Rabbi uh, Saperstein, was sitting too down from me, and he pricked up instantly <laughs> when <what> I <I've laughs> mentioned this. I asked the rapporteur what the UN is going to do. And this is opening up a larger discussion for our program. What he is going to do about the situation in Russia? They have mm-hmm. declared war, a holy war, on terrorism. Yes. yes, yes. Then quickly followed by uh, national anti-terrorism legislation. And uh, one early casualty is at the moment the Russian courts are about to declare Jehovah's Witnesses illegal. Oh. Oh. Uh, which will drive them out of their country, and the yeah. charge is that they're a security threat to the uh-huh. country. And that could quickly turn on other religions like Adventists. Sure. And I said, you know, this global war on terrorism, it's, it's, it easily turns into any religion other than the national religion, which is equated with security and, and what it is to be that country, right. can be fingered as, as a security threat, sure. therefore terrorism. And I said, for example, I a few years ago heard a radio program on the BBC where they interviewed the foreign minister of the Maldives, and I said, I don't know if it was you. <laughs> Give him the benefit. <laughs> and uh, he portrayed the Maldives as, as they are, as a wonderful tourist Mecca, nice place, tropical environment, island nation, only quarter of a million people there. And uh, he said, they have perfect freedom of religion there. Because the interviewer asked him, and he says, yes, perfect freedom of religion, no problem. He says, hello, you know. 100% Muslim. It's not really an issue. And so the interviewer said, Well, he says, I'm a Christian. He says, If I went there, would I be allowed to practice my faith? And uh, the foreign the minister reacted quite indignantly. He says, Certainly not. He says, We might as well invite Al Qaeda into our country. <laughs> Well, you know, on, on a way, it was sort of uh, he was turning things on their head because yes. this is a Christian coming into a Muslim country. Al Qaeda seems a contradiction in an analogy, but what he really meant was this is a, a violently disruptive challenge to our uh, national religious viewpoint, and that's the same viewpoint that Russia is now indulging with with these foreign, mostly Protestant uh, religions they know that they are not the religious terrorist states, but they're seeing them as somehow inherently threatening. And uh, I don't really know what the UN, given the biases or the limitations that such a repertoire might have, I don't really know what they're likely to recommend, how they could even deal with it. We've had coalitions of Muslim states recently get together and try to force through the UN, binding legislation, for want of a better word, or actions for the, the world nations that would restrict people in their ability to criticize another religion. They would criminalize, critiquing another faith, that this is defamation of religion. Well, you know, how will evangelization go forward? It's not that you go around maligning another religion, but almost by definition, when you are bringing a new religious viewpoint, it has to be in the dynamic discussion of this faith versus another So the net effect is you just restrict people's ability to uh, enter into a, quote, foreign religious environment.
0: Lincoln, let me ask you a question. You and I both are Christians, and we are in the media. We do radio programs. You preach and go around and hold seminars and whatnot. Would you say that what we're facing today and the pushback from proselytizing and, and, and evangelism is a little bit too late? Because now we have the radio, we have television, we have iPods, we have iPads. We don't need someone to knock on anybody's door, like the Jehovah's Witness, and talk to people about Christ. We can do it over the airwaves. What's the problem?
1: Well, airwaves can be restricted.
0: <laughs> well, to a point, yeah, they can be jammed, but still, you know, radio-free Europe. Not by
1: accident. Even... Up to the present, when there is a, uh, uh, whether it's a uh, velvet or a purple or a green or a whatever revolution, <laughs> they go and take the radio and TV well, this station. This
0: is true. This is true. The first thing they do uh, is take control them of
1: control the information dissemination. Okay. And All it's right. not by accident that in China they uh, struck a deal with Google where they don't have access to everything. Mm. So your point is somewhat true, but not yeah. totally true. Uh, there are ways... It's not that we've been removed from from the old ways to control information, no. It's easy to get your idea across, but it can be blocked, and there are intentions to block it in many countries.
0: Well, I have to fall back on that Bible verse where Christ says, you know, if necessary, the rocks will cry out. So we may have to have some crying rocks in some countries pretty soon, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes. No, I think there's going to be some extreme... Well, the Bible says uh, everything that can be overturned will be overturned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything that's hidden will be brought to light. Mm. The last presidential campaign, I think, started that process. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, but anyhow, this uh, to me, it was a little insight into uh, the, maybe necessary is the wrong word, but the generally positive role of the UN, but the built-in foibles of the system, and Another program, I'll, I'll discuss something that was brought up against anti proselytization and that mm, was quite yes, troubling. Yes. And this is an area that the UN can be a make-or-break in facilitating access to other countries for uh, faith initiatives.
0: Well, we look forward to doing that program. My take-home today from talking to you is that Tolerance is not the way for us to go. Listener, if if you or I find ourselves tolerating someone, that's not where Christ would want us to be. I think, Lincoln, I hear you saying that Christ would want us to have respect for people. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely.
1: Respect and and to give the same guarantees to others that we would expect for ourselves.
0: All right, very good. Freedom in this case. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, thank you so much. And until next time, listener, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.